Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Chores are, well, they're a chore. And for many households, couples, roommates, families, chosen families, the pandemic tested and sometimes broke the systems that people use to get the basics of life done. In heterosexual couples, women usually end up running the household, regardless of any other factors, and surveys show that chores are up there with money in terms of stressing a marriage. Housemates encounter many of the same issues, especially with so many Bay Area people still working from home. But listen, there's hope. That's the message from our guest this morning, and we hope to hear from you, too, about your successes and your failures. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. I would love to tell you all that in my own house, we have figured out how to equitably split responsibilities, that my children happily sweep and clean, and that we have answers to a happy domestic arrangement. But we're trying. (laughs) And we have been for years. Sometimes we succeed, like our joint commitment to resetting our kitchen each night. And other times we fail, like the chore chart that my kids use for approximately six days, or actually maybe it was six hours, uh, before just drawing smiley faces all over it as it sat on the refrigerator. Luckily, you don't have to take all your cues from me. We have two guests who've been investigating how to make things work better in your house. Whether you live with two crusty bike punks, one delightful house cat, or a partner in triplets. To help us work through chores, we're joined by Ali Volpe, senior reporter at Vox. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. We're also joined by Eve Rodsky, author of Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live, which has been adapted into a documentary, which is going to be released in select theaters and on demand starting at the end of this week. Thanks for joining us, Eve. Thanks, Alexis, for having me. Um, Ali, let's start with you. You recently wrote an article about dividing up chores. Can you talk about a little bit about your motivation, inspiration, your own relationship to chores for us? Yeah, I mean, as with a lot of my stories, I come from a personal place. Um, I've always struggled with how to equitably divide chores in my home. Um, I am that passive aggressive person who would rather just clean everything and stew in my bitterness than have a conversation <laughs> about it. So I figured there's got to be a better way to do this. I can't keep like going on and expecting people to read my mind, honestly. Um, 
I needed to have honest conversations with the people I was living with, because um, this has happened from when I've lived with roommates all the way through to not living with a partner. Um, yeah, so I knew that it was more about just the chores itself. And I knew my reaction to it was more about the chores itself, rather than feeling like it was a personal slight that a person, you know, left their shoes in front of the couch. You know, that wasn't a personal attack on me. Um, so it required some uh, reframing of thoughts and um, talking with experts on how we can do this a little bit better. Yeah. So what were the first kind of takeaways? Cause, I mean, what you're saying is entirely reasonable. It is obviously better to have honest conversations than to stew. You know, it's better to uh, work towards uh, a solution rather than passive aggressively put the shoes away in the closet away from the front of the couch. And yet... So many of us end up in kind of the reverse of those arrangements, doing the stewing, doing the avoiding. So what did you learn about how to actually have those conversations? Yeah, I think, first of all, to be as neutral as possible, uh, to take all the emotion out of it, to realize like this person isn't disrespecting you by doing certain things or not cleaning certain things. Um, And you just kind of need to start by saying like, you know, I want to share this space with you and I want it to be great for both of us. Can we have a talk about that? Um, which, you know, sounds almost simple, but it could be really hard when you're sort of afraid if you're living with a person who, you know, it's just a random roommate who maybe is not obligated to like you or listen to you. That could be a huge thing. Um, So I think just coming to it from a place of neutrality is a great jumping off point and realizing that, you know, if we're all going to share this space together, it needs to be a good place for all of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eve Rodsky, you know, I think one of the more robust findings in social science is basically that housework does not fall equally on the partners in heterosexual couples, that women end up taking on more uh, or have more put upon them, uh, depending on the framing there. Can you talk about why chores, aside from patriarchy, which is the obvious kind of answer here, <laughs> why, why does this happen? Such a good question. Uh, so we know, as you said, that women, um, especially those in heteros cisgender relationships, they take on about two thirds of the domestic work, Alexis, and it actually gets worse if they're the primary breadwinner. They take mm-hmm. on more. Um, and and the reason why is because the home is so dangerous. The home is dangerous because it presents so small. As Ali said, it presents um, like you're having a fight about who left the shoes by the door um, or a sponge in the sink. But really the issue is how we value people's time in our society. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is that, you know, it's the, it is the patriarchy. We, we, we value and view men's time as if it's diamonds. Um, and we view women's time as if it's sand, if it's infinite. And we know that because if women enter male professions, salaries automatically come down. Uh, we tell women, we gaslight them and say breastfeeding is free when it's really uh, 1800 hours a year. Uh, it's a full-time job. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. But the, the hardest part is that women ultimately become, as I say, complicit in their own oppression, which is we start saying to ourselves things like, I'm a better multitasker. Um, I can do it myself. And the time it takes me to tell Alexis how to do it, I should do it myself. Or I'm better at, um, you know, not focusing at one task at a time. I'm, I'm wired differently for care. Uh, or my partner, make, my job is more flexible. So the problem is women start internalizing those messages. And then we start taking on more domestic work. 
And then it becomes a vicious cycle. So I'm never obviously blaming women. I'm blaming uh, the system, but we're all um, we're all a part of it. Yeah. Gosh, such an interesting point that, you know, there's been this much larger discussion around care work, the undervaluing of care work uh, of, you know, both during the pandemic, because there's been a requirement for so much uh, care, so many sick people, but also just, you know, taking care of elders, taking care of, of children. This is like a another uh, instance of that. You know, Ali, I wanted to ask you quickly before we open up the phone lines about what we know or what we can learn from non-cis-hetero couples, right, who who may have different um, gender romantic dynamics at play. What, what did what do we learn from studying other kinds of partnerships? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's all about priorities, um, because, again, if you are living with someone who is not your partner, for instance, um, we all have different priorities, different schedules. Um, so I think you need to be explicit with the people that you live with um, about what you want to see in your living situation. Um, maybe that's, you know, having this sink cleared before you come home from work because you like to prep your dinner as soon as you come home from work. Um, so that could just be as simple as like telling your roommate, like, hey, I would really love it if the sink was cleared before I got home because I like to make my dinners. Um, and because it could very well be your roommate didn't know that and they work from home all day and they think they've got plenty of time to clear it out. Um, so I think just like being explicit with our priorities, our schedules, um, because, yeah, if you're living with a, a roommate or someone who's, you know, not at all caring about your schedule or doesn't know it, um, how are they supposed to know what you need and what makes you feel comfortable? Yeah. We're talking about how to navigate household chores, how to do them better, more equitably with Ali Volpe, senior reporter at Vox, and Eve Rodsky, author of Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. That's been made into a documentary. It's uh, going on demand as well as in some theaters on uh, Friday, July 8th. And we really we want to hear from you on this show. Um, how do you divide chores, household management, uh, where you live? You know, what struggles do you face uh, in trying to organize your house and trying to get chores done? Can you get your kids to help out? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'd love to hear some success stories on the equity questions. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's KQD Forum. Or you can email your particular game-changing solutions to forum at kqed.org. Eve, I want to talk a little bit more about your particular solution to this, which is, I I don't want to just call it a card game, but the sort of basis of it is this this deck of cards. Yes. um, The basis of it, uh, Alexis, was having um, 10 years of research and starting with a a list that um, had an expletive in the front of it, the, you know, the stuff I do list that ended up being uh, an Excel spreadsheet of 98 tabs and 2000 items of invisible work that I sent to my husband one day um, and said, can't wait to discuss. <laughs> and, and that's where the origin of fair play came from. Um, and that's, that list took me nine months and women all across the country about 10 years ago. And I really genuinely thought that list was going to change my life, but it didn't. It fell extremely flat. Seth, when he got the spreadsheet, sent me a, not even words, Alexis, he sent me a monkey emoji, you know, that the monkey, the see no evil, he gave me one monkey. 
um, I, I don't want to see this. And so what I realized, it's a much more complicated situation than a list, mm. way more complicated. If you have to tell somebody what to do, um, they're a helper, they're not a partner. And that is not that is not handling what we call the cognitive labor. And so really, this is a card game because it's a solution based on communication, as Ali said. But really, I found the secret formula. The secret formula for dealing with these issues is what I like to call boundaries. That's viewing your partner's time as, as, as important as your time. Hmm. Uh, boundaries, regardless of what, whether they make money or whether they have more flexibility. Boundaries, systems, which is what we're talking about right now, and communication. Hmm. And really the systems piece, I'll just say really importantly, the systems piece I was able to get to by asking the most important question I've asked in the past decade. And that was, how does mustard get in your refrigerator? <laughs> because you can ask that in 17 countries because everybody loves their condiments. And even in the Nordic countries that we somehow would think hail as the best countries in the world, um, it was very similar, which is one partner would tell me they're the ones who noticed their second son, Johnny likes mustard on their hot dog, the yellow mustard. And that's why it's there in the refrigerator. Uh, that same person monitors the mustard for when it runs low and gets stakeholder buy-in from their family about what they need for the grocery list. And then the other person is the one who goes to the grocery store. And that's a big problem because if you don't have ownership over all the phases of conception, planning, and execution, you often get somebody getting spicy Dijon instead of yellow mustard, and then you hate that. And person then Johnny the can't have a sandwich for lunch exactly. because That's he it. doesn't eat it if there's no mustard. Yeah. And you know what, Alexis, I will never trust you with my living will because you can't even bring home the right type of mustard. <laughs> I mean, these things sound so small, and yet, as you said, they go, they, they, they scale jump so quickly from mustard to living will. We're talking about how to navigate getting stuff done in your household with Ali Volpe, senior reporter at Vox, and Eve Rodsky, who you just heard talking. She's the author of Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. I'm really looking forward to getting some of your comments and solutions in your own households and even some of your failures. Those are good to learn from, too. Uh, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about how to navigate getting household stuff done with Eve Rodsky, author of Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do, more life to live, and Ali Volpe, a senior reporter 
at Vox. I want to bring in our first caller, uh, Adrian in the East Bay. Welcome to the show. Hi there. How's, how's it going, Adrian? What's, uh, what's your story? Hi. Well, I called in because I have the opposite situation from what you guys are talking about. So I don't really want to derail you, but it's just such an interesting discussion. Yeah, sure. What's, and so my your situation hu- my is husband your... husband does all the work. Oh, <laughs> that sounds nice. Um, how did it develop? Well, um, I was kind of thinking back while I was waiting to come on, and I realized that part of it has to do with the fact that I'm allergic to everything in the world. And so he learned pretty early on that if he did the vacuuming while I was at work, then he didn't have to live with me sneezing and snorting and, and coughing and miserable, you know. Uh-huh. But it went from there to a lot of other things. And we are now retired. It's been 30 years. We've been together a long time. Mm-hmm. And he does all the cooking because I can't cook. He does the shopping. He does the laundry. He still does the vacuuming. And he works in the garden. And it's like, how did this occur? And um, I'm not quite sure how it did. <laughs> how do you feel about it? Well, listening to the beginning of your show, I feel a little equivocal. It's like I say to him after he's finished making dinner, I say, I'll do the dishes. And he says, no, that's okay. I don't mind. And I'm thinking, does he really mind? And he's just taught himself to say that. (laughs) I don't know. That's so interesting. Um, Adrian, you know, Eve, I want to get your take on this. I assume that you have run into sort of the... Uh, some counterexamples of the the general trends here. Um, are there things that you notice about those those couples that do you know have an arrangement that's much more like Adrian than than like the norm? Well, they stay married first of all, so thank you, Adrian. <laughs> uh, we need those counterexamples um, all the time. But I think what's happening now is I am seeing a, a, a trend, especially during the pandemic, Alexis. Um, for men to really understand the value of care work. And I don't just mean, you know, showing up to teach your kid to ride a bike, but that the domestic work um, of, of doing dishes, of laundry, what I call the daily grinds, the hard things that often fall on women um, really are starting to, it's starting to shift. We're having conversations now that we never had. So Adrian, I, you know, thank you for being, uh, doing this early, 30 years earlier than most of us. But it's a very exciting time because the pandemic, for all of its horrors, uh, the one silver lining is that we cannot ignore, you know, th- a third of this country was working from home. Mm-hmm. And and I'm seeing that men are telling me, you know what, maybe I'm, I can't ignore this anymore, that running a household is a full-time job. Um, and I cannot put this on one person anymore. Um, we've got a perfect follow-on call from that. Uh, Guillermo in uh, San Leandro. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, thank you for uh, taking my phone call. You know, I've been listening to everything that you guys been talking. And I have to say that my wife feels that she's a Wonder Woman, uh, that she can do almost everything. <laughs> so during the pandemic, uh, we learned to share a lot of responsibilities together again mm-hmm. we've been married for 24 years and now we just that we have more freedom it's very nice to see how 
everything has been developed because we still kind of like your thing, my thing, you know, do your thing. Okay. I'm doing my thing. And, uh, but, uh, when it comes to shared responsibilities in a house, I kind of take more ownership on the house and doing more things for the house, like the hard stuff, the garden, the, you know, repairs and stuff like that. But then uh, when we come to make a decisions, it becomes more easy for us to make the decision after two years been uh, together. I mean, every day, 24-7. Right, right, uh, right. For, 200, for two, two years together. Yeah. Hey, Guillermo, um, thanks so much for that. Use a key word. I want to, uh, Eve Rodsky, ownership, the word that Guillermo used, is a really key word for you, right? Because as you said, if you have to tell someone what to do, they're, you know, not a partner, they're their helper. And for you, that's basically coming to own the whole task, own the whole mustard in the fridge, right? Exactly. That's it. It's actually, um, Alexis, it's not rocket science. As I said to you earlier, the secret formula is boundary systems and communication. Um, and the system is just ownership. It's that when you hold a task, if you're the one who's making dinner, you pick the recipe, you ensure that the groceries are in the refrigerator and you make the dinner. Um, as opposed to saying, what do you want me to make? You plan, you know, give me the recipe and I'll cook. It's a very different mindset, you know, or you say, you know, I'll take the kids to Little League. But did you were you the one on the carpool text chain knowing when practice is? Um, are you the one ordering their equipment on either? I don't know, uh, you know, online or borrowing it and then returning it when it's too small. There's all the behind the scenes tasks that just take you to the Little League field or take you to the right type of mustard. And when you understand that ownership is the key, then that's the system and not a list. And that's what I figured out for my own house, because my day job is creating systems. And when you realize that even my Aunt Marion's Mahjong group, Alexis, has more clearly defined expectations in the home, you don't bring snack twice to that group and you're out, then you realize we're in a bad situation um, in our homes. Yeah. We're talking about how to navigate getting household stuff done with Eve Rodsky, author of Fair Play, game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live, and Ali Volpe, a senior reporter at Vox, who recently wrote a story about this. And we do want to hear from you. I'm loving your calls. How do you divide chores in your household? And I want to get into this soon. Have you been able to teach your kids to do chores, if you have kids? Uh, you can give me a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We want to hear how you divide chores in your household. The Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, to KQED Forum, or you can email forum at kqed.org. You know, I wanted to uh, get to this, to the kids um, thing. I noted it in the very top of the show. I was like, you know, we should have our kids like do some more chores. Of course, like the chores were like brush your teeth. <laughs> These are not, um, you know, massive chores, but there's just kind of the, the basics of life and got a chore chart and put it on the fridge. And I was so proud. I had owned getting this chore chart um, even in the language and it had come and I had like set it up on the refrigerator and everything. And, you know, we talked to the kids about doing it. And like literally, I think we got one day of them actually using it. And then it completely fell um, out of uh, out of use, and I was wondering, you know, how you see uh, that portion of things, like the the where where parenting and and coupledom or partnerdom 
come in into conflict or come together, really, not necessarily conflict. Well, I love I'm laughing because what is a chore chart? It's just a list. It's the same. <laughs> it's the same as the SI do yeah. spreadsheet that I sent to Seth. Right. Um, the problem is, uh, Ali was mentioning earlier, is that's where the boundary systems and we haven't talked about the third, the communication. Right. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of situations, um, it's really it's not going to happen overnight, but it doesn't happen overnight with anybody. This is a really difficult issue. When you think about it, our home is our most important organization. And, and, and think about how much organizational management and HR systems and teams and technology goes to, to running a work organization. Well, we don't put any of that investment into our homes. And so with kids, it's the same thing. It's just starting to have those conversations. And what I like to do is do it by telling stories. And so what I'll say is we're going to have a story, you know, let's talk about uh, grocery shopping. You know, what does it look like when you go to the grocery store? I'll tell you what it was like for me growing up. Um, I went to the Pathmark in New Jersey with my mother because that's where the cheap uh, no frills groceries were. And we got the unit prices and you, know, you start to tell stories. And I think that that's really important with kids because they have to realize that this is not just unpaid labor and chores, these, the, the things that we're doing that are unpaid in our home, whether they're our laundry, our groceries, who learns to ride a bike, there are, there are humanity mm-hmm. and there was what we remember at the end of our lives. So this isn't a, a long-term investment. So I would say, do not worry if it doesn't work your chore chart. Don't worry if they don't do a lot of the work now, but start modeling it and start having those conversations about, about why it matters and the memories you have as a child of your, who took you to the grocery store? Who did, who did you do laundry with? What do you remember about those, about those days Mm -hmm. and those tasks? Mm -hmm. So interesting. I, I feel like my family kind of split evenly because my dad left his job when I was 10, we moved to this rural place and suddenly my parents were, you know, had almost kind of like role reversed who was doing the kind of you know, who was who was having ownership of kid stuff, which I think was actually it was a kind of fascinating to see both models be able to work. Um, you know, uh, best rights. This is a nice um, just a nice little solution. Best rights. We are a blended family with five kids ranging in age from eight to 15. We just changed our chore game to offer more incentives. Kids get a 50 percent boost in allowance if all chores are completed without reminders over a two-week period. Since implementation two months ago, we haven't had to remind them of a single chore, although they have taken to reminding each other. Um, that's that's pretty funny. I would take uh, two days, perhaps, uh, let alone two weeks. Um, let's bring in another caller. Phone lines are uh, getting full here. Rachel in Oakland. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Can you hear me? Um Yeah, I'm calling because, so I work full-time, I'm a lawyer, and my husband works probably about 10 hours a week of paid work, and we still split the chores 50-50, which is obviously better than me doing more than 50%, but I feel like he should do more than 50%, and that's where we get into a lot of fights. (laughs) Um, Allie, I I assume that when you were talking with experts for your, your story that you ran into situations like this as well. 
Yes, definitely. Um, and I think so much of this just relies on a person's schedule. So obviously, if they are not home um, more than, you know, people that they live with, um, it can get to feel pretty resentful if you're doing 50-50. So I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, your your schedule. If you work nights and, you know, you're expected to take out the trash, um, that might not work with your schedule. Or if you're out early in the mornings and you're expected to get the kids up and ready for school, that might make your already hectic mornings even more hectic. So I think it takes a lot of examining people's schedules and figuring out what works best with their work, their life, their patterns. Say someone's a night person, they might be better suited to doing the evening tasks or maybe even doing their chores at night. Um, so back to Eve's point about communication, it really comes down to, um, talking about what would work best for your schedule. Yeah. You know, Eve, do you find, you know, how adaptive to people's out of home work do, should people be, maybe that's not quite the right word, but, but, uh, what works for people when they have like very different out of, uh, out of homework experiences? Well, what works is a 10 minute a night check-in because when you have a dynamic life where maybe one person's more out of the home, one person's more in the home, um, you're going to, you're going to fall into assumptions that the person who's home is, should be doing more. Right. Um, I had so many, uh, women, um, especially tell me that, um, when they started working from home and their company changed to work from home, that their partner said, well, you're in the kitchen so you might as well do dinner. And then they're like, in the kitchen, this is my office. This is my office. Um, in our home, this is my office. So it can get sort of enraging if assumptions are really what's leading the discussions as opposed to structured decision-making. Mm-hmm. Fair play is not telling you it should be 50-50. I actually don't believe in 50-50 um, because every single day life changes. But I believe in structured decision-making, meaning, meaning, as we said earlier, that people have ownership, number one, and number two, they know who's doing it in advance. So to know who's doing it in advance and not to rely on assumptions, you have to talk about it. And the sad thing, Alexis, is so many people are so afraid of these conversations. And I I try to figure out why, why are people afraid of talking about domestic life? Mm -hmm. And what I hear so often is, well, I tried to talk about it with Alexis, but it didn't work out well. Um, It was too triggering. And so we never talked about it. We never talked about it again. And Mm -hmm. that's not going to work that we need a 10 minute a night check-in or at least a day, a weekly experience to have high cognition, low emotion conversations about the home. Mm-hmm. You cannot give feedback in the moment. Feedback in the moment is toxic. It's the number one communication tip I give anybody who's trying to enter fairness in their home. Why did you put the sponge in the sink? Move your things from the door. It doesn't work. You got to hold your tongue and wait for it for that check-in or when you're having high, high cognition, low emotion conversations. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I mean, I, you know, just we spent years in couples therapy, I think, talking about these things. And I think it might have taken me specifically that long to kind of understand what was important about maintaining our home life and that it was that it was about it was it was about valuing that that care work. And I I mean, I look back on those years, quite honestly, and it's it, uh, kind of shameful and embarrassing to think like, wow, this really, wh- why was I being like this? And I think there was just a lot of 
unlearning. You know, there was a lot of, of, of unlearning to, to do about sort of what I thought of as my responsibilities and, and what I didn't. Um, uh, let's get to someone who has had things work out really well. Mary in Berkeley. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, sure can, Mary. Go ahead. Fantastic. I I just got to thank you for the Fair Play system. We adopted this in the middle of the pandemic. I was truly losing it, trying to, like, you know, it was just a dumpster fire all around. And the first week that we implemented the system, I had so much free time. We tried to split things 50-50. I was watching Netflix. I was playing video games. My husband was so overwhelmed. He could not handle it. And at the end of the week, he's like, how do you do it? And I'm like, yes, this is why I've been losing it. Um, We've since shifted. I think you're exactly right. 50-50 doesn't work. But even though it's now more like 65-35, it's nice that he notices and respects everything that I'm doing. And um, the other part of the system that I really like is having agreement on what's important. We both realize that holiday cards, we both hate doing. So we just don't do those anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I just wanted to thank you so much. Um, It's been, it truly has been life changing. That is a great story. Thank you, uh, Marion Berkeley. And I, you know, I have never understood holiday cards, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's a there are things that many people uh, think are important. I'm not trying to uh, to take it away from, but we, yeah, I, I also don't quite understand it. Um, we're talking about how to navigate getting household stuff done with Ali Volpe, a senior reporter at Vox, and Eve Rodsky, the author of Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. And if you haven't been able to get your partner to read the book, it's been adapted into a documentary, which is going to be released in theaters and on demand Friday, July 8th. You can just, you know, add that to their watch list, your partners, and, and, you know, start to get the passive-aggressive behavior going right. Um, Just kidding. You should have the real conversation, just like Eve has been telling us. That's the way to do it. Um, We want to know, hear from you. How do you divide up chores in your household? And how did you learn to do chores when you were growing up? You can give us a call. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Want to hear some of your family histories around these topics, which clearly inform the way we show up in our relationships too. The uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagrams, KQED Forum, and the emails, forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about chores, household stuff, getting things done. Joined by Eve Rodsky, author of Fair Play, and Ali Volpe, senior reporter at Vox. I want to get to a couple of uh, comments here. Anne writes, as someone with long-term health problems, I have to rely on my partner's help, so my partner does so much above and, above and beyond, and I'm grateful for it. But I find that I take on a disproportionate amount of the most odious tasks in the household, the grinding paperwork no one else wants, for example. I don't feel that my contributions are valued, and when I have to ask for some help with those things, the complaining is mighty, but it doesn't increase the appreciation of how much I do or my time is valuable, too. It's like the men in my home don't value the tasks they hate doing the most and therefore don't appreciate my own sacrifice and what I contribute in doing them. I also find the most taxing aspect is making sure things get done being the frontal cortex of the household when I am least able to do so, including maintaining relationships with family and friends. It's the role of household manager without getting respect for it. I think this often falls to women in our society. You know, Eve, I wanted to ask you about this because, you know, we when we think about chores, we think about household tasks and these things. It's oftentimes that, you know, like we, we've talked the dishes, the laundry, these other things. But there are these other crucial components of of having a household together oftentimes it is managing those relationships with with family the the birthday things um are those in a different category for you or are those all things that sort of get included when trying to develop a, a system through this kind of clear communication that you're advocating it's a great question um and thank you i we love mary thank you mary um Uh, I loved what she was saying. And the truth is, is that they are different. Um, And so the, and so in the communication game of fair play, there are actually four uh, different suits like a card game. Um, And those suits are caregiving home. So the home ones are the ones that are most visible. The ones we're talking about, like the laundry and the dishes, but then there's the caregiving, like who's the one managing your your health insurance or the school transitions for your kids, right? Mm -hmm. If you have to research a middle school or apply them in a lottery, who's doing that? Um, The six camps. The six camps, right? So that's the sort of the caregiving. Um, Home, like I said, is the most visible. Out is pretty visible because everybody knows your kids have to be transported places or your parent, if you're in a sandwich generation, has to be transported. But the ones that you're talking about, Alexis, that I think get overlooked a lot are what I call magic. And it's the, you know, who's the person hmm. that's putting, putting the post-it note in someone's lunchbox if they want to do that. I mean, I never had that. I was in a single mom latchkey home, but I'm assuming <laughs> some kids get, you know, a note in their lunchbox or whatever. Um, who is the person uh, in the magic suit that are managing those relationships with their in-laws? Um, who's the person uh, I call it middle of the night comfort. Who's comforting your kid in the middle of the night. And actually again, back to the heterosis gender, which we're centering because that's where a lot of these problems come from. Um, men do really well in the magic suit um, in terms of comfort and teaching kids to ride bikes and writing those notes. And so I, I think that, you know, the more we understand that there's a holistic 
way of looking at it. it's more than just laundry and dishes. Um, the fair play system is a hundred cards for you to talk about. So it's not easy. As I said, it's not a list. It becomes communications over all of those hundred cards. But I would say my favorite um, stories are when men um, hold the magical beings card and that is tooth fairy Santa. And I, I have a lot of amazing stories about men as tooth fairies and it changes their lives when they do that type of magic work. Uh, and I, I like what you're getting at here. Uh, one listener writes, and I, and I actually think you did cover this, Eve, but uh, a listener wants to sort of emphasize this uh, point. I feel like w- a lot of what's missing from the analysis that was discussed early on is the whole performance of gender that housework represents and why that makes housework such contested ground. Doing housework is undervalued, even though every single household requires management and chores to be done. But because it's considered women's work, it is seriously undervalued. And men in particular don't want to do it lest they perform their gender, quote, incorrectly and be considered less masculine as a result. And I I, I think that's definitely at play for many uh, men out there. Uh, a listener, another listener writes, and Ali, this one's uh, coming to you. I grew up in a Mexican-American household with traditional norms, the listener writes. But as the youngest kid in the family, I wasn't expected to do many chores. In Mexico, there's a saying that once you learn to cook and clean, you can get married now, as if that's a compliment. Women are often judged by how clean and orderly their homes are, but men are not judged that way. I'm now married and have two kids. During the pandemic, I realized that the level of cleanliness of my home is just not that important compared with holding down my job or having quality time with my family. When something has to give, it's usually chores. And, you know, Ali, in your uh, in your article, you talk about sort of people's differing levels of clean or different even definitions for what what clean is. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about that, um, that is that actually something that feels like it's that it can change? Like people can just say, you know what, actually, this isn't that important that this particular aspect of, of household management. Yeah, um, I found a really interesting study that found that people have different tolerances about what they consider clean and that people who have a lower tolerance for messes will often be the one to complete that housework because they are just so bothered by it. Um, and the people who, you know, would rather, you know, have cleanliness go by the wayside, or maybe that's a harsh way of putting it, but if it doesn't bother them as much, they're fine not doing it. Um, and so I think that sort of pigeonholes people into being like the designated cleaner because okay, if you're the one that's so bothered by it, you should clean it. And I think that's where roommates often fall into that trap a lot. Um, And so if you don't want to be that forever person, again, it's having that conversation about it. Um, And I think it's also important to renegotiate some of these things as well. Um, Going back to the holiday card conversation that some of these tasks maybe aren't as important, um, even if you are the like, quote unquote, cleanlier person um, of like washing the car, maybe that can go by the wayside because it's really not important. Whereas maybe keeping the kitchen clean or like highly trafficked areas are more important. Um, So again, it comes back to that conversation about what we all prioritize in the house. um, And that one person shouldn't be the designated cleaner just because they have the most issue with it. Let's bring in uh, Caller Griffin in Los Angeles. Welcome, Griffin. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good, good. So I just wanted to share about uh, a method that my mom actually taught me that I've been using ever since. Um, 
So when we were growing up, I had two siblings, and to split up unloading the dishwasher, cleaning the kitchen, and taking out the trash, we had three different lists that alternated between me, my brother, and my sister's name. And if you got home early from school and no one else was there to unload the dishwasher, you could check your name off the list. Um, and if the same thing happened the next day and no one was there, you could work ahead on the list. And then this way, when other people got home, they could see that they were running behind and that they would have to fill extra space. But it did allow everyone a little bit of discretion and um, just understanding and getting their chores done. And then when I went to college, we actually ended up doing it, and it worked really well. Um, coincidentally, now I'm in law school, and uh, when I suggested it to my roommates upon move-in, they they thought that they said that we were adults and we wouldn't need it. And uh, it's kind of funny because <laughs> we've, we've gotten in several uh, arguments about you know who should be doing more work around the house with respect to dishes and whatnot. Yeah, and you know, uh, Eve, it sounds like Griffin's system has something that that you would. I imagine you prize, which is that a system that is both, you know, uh, clear allows for communication, but that also contains some flexibility too. I love Griffin's system. Exactly. Cause it's what we said before it's ownership and you know, who's doing it in advance. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the beauty of a system. It's really about a system is that's how, you know, you're not living in a list as Griffin was saying, <laughs> you know, you're living in a system. If you know that there's explicitly defined expectations you know your role and there you feel fairness and transparency. That's all that's all it is. People are afraid of systems. Obviously, Griffin's roommates were afraid to talk about these issues. We're all adults, we don't need to speak about it. That's always a red flag, right? You always <laughs> need to communicate about things. But that's how you know you're living in a system. If you feel fairness and transparency, both people do. Um, you know your role. And and there, as we said earlier, that there's there's ownership. So you're not having to remind somebody to do something where you feel like you're nagging. And that's really the beauty of what Griffin's talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, Diane also reminds us, you know, let me tell you, these struggles don't go on just between couples. That is is definitely true. Um, let's bring in Darren in Oakland. Thanks for that call, Griffin. Hi, this is Darren. Um, I grew up with four siblings, and it was always all the kids that kept the house clean. And so when I became a parent, um, it became important to me to make sure my kids knew how to keep house for their future independence. And I was widowed when my kids were very young. And mm -hmm. so I couldn't do it all by myself. And I just started um, by having the kids follow me around while I did all the chores so they could see how it was done and then slowly started giving them bits of it. So my preteen was always responsible for keeping the dishwasher unloaded and suddenly I realized she was then loading it. She would finish unloading it, and it just kind of naturally became this thing where she took it on. My, my youngest boys will empty all the trash cans, um, and then one of them will take it down to the street. And they um, carry the laundry up and down the stairs. They don't know how to use the machines, but they're <laughs> holding their own laundry now. And just getting them engaged as a family practice to do it together. Yeah. I mean, how did you deal with it when they just didn't want to or they're being squirrely or they were, you know, under underfoot while you're trying to vacuum? Like, how, how did you work through those? Because I can see the attempt. I think most parents feel like it is a noble and good thing to do what you did. But how did you sort of stick with it when it got hard? Um, <laughs> threatening to remove privileges. <laughs> um, 
you know, we're, we're going to do this because there's not going to be any video games or TV until the house is clean. And we, we do pretty much save it for the weekend. Um, but we, we do it. We, we spend our Saturday mornings, um, getting the house all cleaned up from the week before pick up your own laundry, um, clothes cannot be inside out. And that's really helped too, because if they have to then go through their dirty laundry and turn everything right side out, they're going to be more careful taking their clothes off because they don't want to do that job on Saturday morning. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. Really uh, appreciate that call. You uh, sharing some of your, your hard won wisdom with us. Appreciate that. Um, Let's get another uh, system. Haim in Berkeley. Welcome. Hi, how are you? This is a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. So in our family, we, um, we started learning with um, uh, Positive Discipline, this great book about family um, discipline um, and encouraging kids to be self-reliant and self-responsible. And what we did is we had family meetings and got the kids involved in coming up with solutions and quite a while ago, we came up with this uh, idea that the kids, all the chores of the household would be written down on these popsicle sticks. And the kids, the two kids would select at random the different popsicle sticks with the chores that they were going to do that week. And then at the end of the week, you know, we would review and ask them, how did it go? Would it, what worked? What didn't work? And then they would reselect the sticks. And they did that for quite a few months. And then it kind of fell into like, well, one is doing the laundry more, so that's kind of their thing, or this one does the dishes these few days, and that's kind of uh, their thing. Um, uh, and it doesn't require the kind of weekly meeting about it um, so much anymore, but it definitely encouraged people to have a sense of ownership in um, just the functioning of the household. Yeah. I love that, Chaim. Thank you so much, and uh, appreciate you sharing your uh, system with us. Um, Eve, we've got a question from Allie in Marin for you. Hey there. Um, I am a, an interior designer and professional organizer, and so just needless to say, I'm very interested in the aesthetic of my home, and I've always been that way. And um, for years, I was frustrated with uh, feeling like I was doing more in my relationship regarding uh, all of the household chores and uh, child raising and all that. And so I found um, the Fair Play book a few years ago, just a little bit maybe before COVID. And um, I've been so validating, first of all, to read it and just feel like I wasn't crazy and there were so many more people who felt the same way I did. Um, and then there was this piece of it that I started to get really frustrated. I was more and more angry about um, how things had sort of turned out. And um, I read the book and I talked to my husband about, you know, how we're going we're gonna to work on this. And then I don't know if it was because of COVID and everything just kind of turned into our priorities upside down, but all of a sudden we just couldn't make it through the conversations. And so we never got started. And I, just, um, I know it's a worthwhile thing to do and I keep, it's, it's on my list. I want to do it. It just feels like it's too difficult to, to have those conversations. And I, mm-hmm. I know you've talked about it a little bit, how, um, you know, everyone should be able to have these hard conversations. And in some ways it feels like confrontation, but it's so important. And I'm just having a hard time making it past that first step, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Such a good question. What do you think? So many. Oh, well, that's why it's the secret formula of boundary systems and communication. 
I wish I could just tell you I can create a system and just give it to the world, right? But ironically, that's the easy part. Communication is so hard around these issues. And the reason why I think it is, is because we end up having, we end up at resentometer 10, and then we don't want to go back um, to the table because there's so much underlying frustration and, and, and real fear. So many couples that they say that they have fear, right? That if they ask their partner to do something, they don't do it. The fear is if, what happens if they don't do it, right? What do I do next? Um, mm-hmm. Do I, do I leave them? Do I live like this and resign myself to doing it all and lose myself in the process? So I think the problem is sometimes it gets scary because what people are so worried, what happens if they don't do what I ask? So instead, what I'd say, if these conversations are really, really tricky, it's typically because there's not a practice of communication. So I surveyed a thousand people on social media during the pandemic. And I asked, what is your most important practice? I did it vaguely. And I, sometimes I got question marks, but mostly people said exercise or meditation not one person in the thousand said communication. Hmm. Communication is our most important practice. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have to start looking at it instead of me saying, Alexis, I'm talking to you today because you have to take the kids to carpool, right? The transactional nature of communication. We have to start looking at communication as relational. I talk to Alexis to get better at talking to Alexis. And, and if I know that that means that Alexis is better at night um, because he's not, he's a night person or he's better in the mornings, um, we have to start a practice of communication. So what I would say is just drop who does what, the fact that it's related to domestic chores, that part of the fair play system, you can just drop it. And my advice would be to invest in the next six months in a check-in putting tacos, tequila, whatever you need to call, I call short-term reward substitution, (laughs) get yourself to the table. That's what behavioral economists call it. Do something fun, but 10 minutes a night, Yeah, 10 minutes a night. And it it sounds easy. It's really hard. But if you do that for six months, then you're going to be able to come back to the table and start having these conversations about the system. Have to get to one funny comment from Vicky, just because she deserves it. Uh, here's how my husband did his share, Vicky tweets. I divorced him. We had 50-50 physical custody of our two kids, and he was forced to do his share. My advice, act like you're divorced. Thank you for all of your calls and all of your comments. It's been so interesting, enlightening, also fun. Uh, we've been talking about how to navigate getting household stuff done with Ali Volpe, a senior reporter at Fox. Thanks for joining us, Ali. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And Eve Rodsky, author of Fair Play, game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. It's coming out as a documentary July 8th. Thanks for joining us, Eve. Thank you so much. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.